Thriving in divorce and beyond means not having to worry about the safety of your children when it comes to co-parenting. With alcohol abuse on the rise, many co-parents are turning to the system committed to providing proof, protection, and peace of mind. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking during parenting time. Soberlink's real-time alerts, facial recognition, and tamper detection ensure the integrity of each test so you can be confident your kids are with a sober parent. With Soberlink, judges rest assured that your child is safe, attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Pull back the curtain on the mysteries of parenting time and trust the experts in remote alcohol monitoring technology to keep you informed and your kids safe and secure. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Divorce and Beyond. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Well, actually, the original title was, Is This Too Much?, that was the original title that I had enjoyed writing. And I, and I really liked that title. And the subtitle was 10 men, eight months, a journey or a memoir of life after marriage, something like that. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I have a very special guest, and she is an author with a book about to launch. For those of you who are watching this on the video, you can see a copy of the book in the background there by the beautiful flowers with the peach on it, which is a little bit of a metaphor, I think. Um, for a bit of the tale in the book. But I'm I'm truly excited for this interview. I have been reading the book uh, for the past week. And I, I'm a, actually a very quick reader. And usually I could get through a 400-page book in, you know, in a very short period of time. But I have been sort of, I'm going to say luxuriating in this book or or really just diving into it because you it's it's so beautifully done and we're going to get you know into why but it the what Laura has done is taken her journey and crafted it and told it in a very true and honest way but also so that you can pull messages and lessons from it that will help you along your way and they've you know I'm pulling things that I want to highlight and underline and star um so first Laura Friedman Williams Laura you and I just met recently you gifted me with the book and first I just want to say thank you for taking the time to write the book and to take the time to come on the podcast because I love the book so thank you 
Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's such a thrill for me still to get introduced. Like this is my, my first book. And I've also been out of the working world for a very long time. So just even being introduced, like the podcast could end right now. And I'd be like, what a day I had. (laughs) Well, we're going to, this is already, I've already decided that this is going to be a special two-part episode because there's so much that I want to talk about about the book, about your journey. And I think it's interesting because it's a parallel sort of your journey through divorce, as well as your journey to write this book. Um, And so there are some parallels there that I want to talk about. But the first thing that I want to highlight for people is what you just said. So I have your bio here. So everybody, when they come on the show, they provide me with a bio that they'd like me to use to introduce them. And yours is literally as long as two sentences, that you are the author of the book (laughs) and that you live in Manhattan with your three children. And I love that because that's truly where you're at and that you have been, um, for many of my listeners, it will be uh, something that they can you know, identify with. You've been a stay-at-home mom, uh, married for a number of years, 23 years, I think. For 27 years. 27 years. Yeah. And um, this is the beginning of a, a whole new chapter for you, or the book starts with a whole new chapter for you. So mm-hmm. again, first off, I just want to say Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for letting me bring it uh, to my listeners. And so let's just, I want to start with how you chose the title. Let's just start there. Well, actually, the original title was, Is This Too Much?, that was the original title that I had enjoyed writing. And I, and I really liked that title. And the subtitle was 10 Men, 8 Months. A journey or a memoir of life after marriage, something like that. Um, and my publisher decided they wanted something a little catchier. And they said, they looked through the book and they found that the word available was used a lot. And so they decided to pull that out. And when they said it, I thought, oh, of course. Um, I, w- I made myself very available in a lot of ways as a woman, as a human being, as a mother still. And so I, I did like, is this too much? I, I still like that title because it's a very, it's something I say early in the book um, when I'm having my first sexual encounter. Um, and I'm afraid that I've like overdone it. You know, I've overpresented myself and I say, is this too much? But, but throughout the book, the question is, is this too much? Is it too much for me to be talking about this? Is this too much that I did it? Is it too much that I'm writing about it and, you know, screaming it to the world? So that's, is this too much? And it morphed into available. And I think available is really the perfect title for it because like, uh, I'm living my life now and I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, and that's exactly what I thought when I saw the title. Although I have to say, is this too much? It would have been another great title. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that about, <laughs> about the book, but um, I, I, it's available is such a great one word, first of all, catchy title, but it's also, you know, it talks about, because this is your journey back out into the world of dating um, and sex and men and, uh, you know, seeing yourself uh, as a woman, not just a mother or a wife anymore, but, um, or only, um, and, but it's also available for life. You're, you're, you sort of have a rebirth through this process in, in many ways. So beautiful title. And it really is a very open 
memoir. I mean, this is, you are really putting out there all of the emotional content of divorce, of betrayal, of finding a new path, of being a mother to children whose parents are going through divorce, of being a woman sort of getting back out there in the world of dating after not having dated really since your teen years. Um, and But you say, and you, you mentioned to me in our first um, just chat that the book changed, that at first you thought it was going to be one thing, and then as you wrote it, it turned into something else. So what was that journey? Well, that's one of the things, like, this is obviously the first book I wrote. I've also never even written an article. You know, um, as I say in my, in a longer bio, I wrote a lot of PTA newsletters. Um, I'm pretty good at those, <laughs> or, you know, the class mom emails, good at those too. Um, but I, I found that when I was writing and I was, I really just wanted it to be a fun book. I think that like, I remember talking to a couple of friends and they said, your stories are really funny. The things that have happened to you, these anecdotes are great and you should write them down because who would have thought you'd be here? And so I thought, okay. And, and a friend of mine had suggested right from the end, you know, right from the end of your marriage, like from date number one and, and pick it up. And so I did that and I started writing about the dates. And at some point I thought, this is so one dimensional because it just looks like um, out there living my best life. And nobody knows that for me to do that, I'm crawling across the floor, dragging myself to be alive. I was decimated by the end of my marriage. Um, so I wanted, I really decided if, if I'm going to write a book, I mean, if I'm going to go down this road, I'm, I'm going to show myself holistically. I, I can't be this one note person. That's not who I am. And I want women to see when they're reading this, that you can be on your last leg. You can feel like you are not going to survive and you can not only survive, you can thrive, but it's not going to happen to you. You have to make it happen. And so it was very important to me to show the real me, which is I was down and out. And I don't even know, you know, it, when I think about how I wrote about my sort of heartbreak, I'm not even sure I accurately captured the depths of how miserable I was and how much my identity had been taken from me, that the person I thought I was and the life I thought I had been living was really, it was mine in my marriage. I thought we were one person. And I discovered very abruptly that we were not one person. And that I was going to have to survive on my own. So I'm not even sure, even in trying to capture uh, those terrifying feelings that accompany that, I'm not even sure I was able to fully capture it. But I felt like it was very important for anybody who was reading it to say, this fun, all this the fun and games she's having, and I did have fun and games, it, there was another side to it. And yeah. life. Well, and that's, I, I think that's actually one of the most effective parts of the book, at least for me, because it does start exactly that way. You start with sort of that first foray out into the world, and it does seem fun, and, and it does seem like, wow, you know, you go out, you meet somebody, you have a good fun time, we'll, we'll say, um, but then you take us back in time. Mm -hmm. And you do step into that place and bring us very much into the moment in time where you discover that um, your husband 
it has stepped outside the marriage, that your marriage that you thought was whole and intact, in fact, is, is not what you thought it was. And it, it, it's, it's so impactful. Um, and if you were, I mean, you, I actually think you were very eloquent in describing the emotions um, as someone who's sort of been in a similar position uh, once in my life. It is hard to describe that vast betrayal. And one thing that I thought you brought home so clearly is, and I talk about the fact that one of the things that makes divorce, I think, so difficult is that suddenly a future that you saw is no longer the future that you are going to have anymore. But you pointed out, at least in, in your experience, it wasn't just that, it was also your, your history was being rewritten because, as you just said, your marriage and your relationship and your life up until that point in time, at least according to your husband and according to you know, what you were hearing and what was happening, wasn't the history you thought you had. Yeah, that was really hard. That was hard. I mean, I think you you know you break your life down into the past, the present, and the future. It was hard to choose which part of it was the scariest to grapple with. Um, and looking back at my past, I was very happy in my life. You know, I, I I lived a very to me it was a very full life. He worked a lot. He traveled a lot. I was home with the kids. I was raising three kids. We sort of decided a little later that we were going to have a third kid, you know, so there's like 11 years between my first and my last. And, um, and it was, it was really, I thought a lovely life, just about what anybody could want. We were a family, we were a unit. So understanding that that was not the case for him, that my half of the unit was thinking one thing and my, you know, twin over here is thinking something totally different. It made me question everything. Well, what else am I seeing wrong? Like if I got that so wrong, what can I rely on? My, uh, my whole understanding, the basis of who I am, the basis of my identity, I was incorrect. I didn't see the full picture. I only saw what I wanted to see. There was one moment my husband actually said to me, it was about maybe five or six years before we split up we were in the pool with our youngest daughter and I don't know why, I don't remember why we were fighting. And he reminded me of this incident later. And he said, Laura, what do you even like about me? What do you like? It feels like you're just so miserable all the time. Like what, what do you, why are we even still married? And I thought, what, what an absurd thing to say. How would we not be married? Like this is, we, I'm, this is, you're my, this arm, you're this leg. So it doesn't matter if, if we feel like we're happy or not, because we're in this together. And I sort of said, whatever I said, I brushed over it. And he brought it back up to me later after we had split up. He, he said, do you remember that time? And I said, yes. And it was sort of like when people say, oh, you know, they were in a car accident and they see their whole life flash in front of me. I did for a moment. I remember standing in the pool thinking my marriage flashed in front of me, but it ended with, well, this isn't, I don't even understand this conversation. So I'm going to shut it down. And I did. So he'd been feeling this way a long time. And I had to, and I'm, by the way, I'm still coming to terms with it. You know, there's still a lot where I'm thinking um, when I thought we were thriving, but for him, he was sort of slowly dying. What does that mean? You know, how does, how does that, how do I take, how did I take my eyes off the prize so, so drastically like that? Right. Well, and you talk in the book about going to therapy together because 
there was actually a period of time where your husband, I think, wanted to get back together, but wanted you to change in order to come back together. Yeah. And there, he was actually angry with you, it, yeah. it felt like, because you hadn't seen his unhappiness. You hadn't heard him, perhaps, or understood it. And he was right. I didn't. I didn't see it. I didn't see what I didn't want to see. He was possibly not as articulate as he needed to be about it, but I also didn't see it. And when he did try to tell me, I did not acknowledge it and take it to the finish line. So, you know, with, with everything I'm learning, there's two sides to every story, right? And in this case with him, there was another side. I was very blind to it. Um, and some of that was because I saw what I wanted to see. And some of it was because he didn't articulate it to me. Um, and I and I think he has a lot of, you know, I think he feels terrible that this is the way he ended our marriage. I think he wishes that he had been more articulate. I think he probably was reeling too. I was his partner in many ways and he did love me and he did love being part of a family. So I don't think it was so easy for him. Interestingly, what I feel for him, and I did even then, I was so angry, but I also felt compassion because, for him because I understood that it was really, he was flailing. You know, he was drowning too. He didn't, I don't think he wanted to blow up his life the way he did, but he didn't know how else to get to a place where he could feel like he was really living again. Um, yeah, that, that, that's always going to be, I think a, a tricky one for me is, and I think what, what actually, but what it's done for me and what I kind of love about it is that I was, oh, I was always a very big warrior. I always worried about everything, what, what happened and what was coming, right? You're always right. like, and that means you're never in the present because you're always either back there or five years ahead, but you're never where you are. And I learned really truly how to live in the present because of all of this, because I realized nothing is a given. And so uh, you have, the only thing that's given is what's in front of you right now. And I, really, I worry so much less. I, I take things with with much greater ease and just think, well, let's <clears throat> let's not speculate. Let's see what happens. Because <clears throat> what I thought when I spent all those years worrying, where did it get me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's so much <laughs> truth in that, right? We are, we we tend to create our own misery with worrying. Um, I, I tend to be the um, super planner, right? Like I, um, if I can just plan and organize and get things set enough, nothing will ever go wrong. And therefore, you know, nothing bad will ever happen. And the reality of that is, is similar to what you're saying is you're not going to organize things into being perfect or organize things into nothing bad ever happening. Um, but I find it, you know, I, one of the, the major messages that I've, I've pulled from your book is very much that, because it would be very easy for you to have villainized your husband, um, in, in the book, um, you know, anytime someone strays outside of marriage, betrays their spouse, there, there's just a, an inherent lying and subterfuge and, and all of that in there. And so it's very easy to villainize that, right? But you do show compassion in the book um, while also showing compassion for yourself in the way that it hit you. I mean, it truly feels and it comes through the tsunami of emotion that hit you. Um, but part of it, I, it did feel like that it was not just the betrayal of the moment, but it was that 
your entire mental structure around what your life was, was completely changed. And so that you had to reorganize. And one of the things that you, you did is, and this is something I talk about in episode after episode, because I think it's such an important thing for people to understand, is you both took some time and space to sort of figure out where this was going to go once the big reveal, I'll call it, happened. Once you found out, um, it wasn't like you ran out to a divorce attorney and filed papers or any of those things. There was actually a great deal of time. In fact, you had a conversation with someone who's like, oh, who's your attorney? Who was also going through a divorce? Who's your attorney? What judge do you have? All of this. And you're like, oh God, we're not at that point. We're in like a holding pattern. Um, And how... You know, how important do you feel that space and time was for you? Stay tuned for more from Susan and her guest, Laura Friedman-Williams, author of Available, a memoir of sex and dating after a marriage ends in part one of this special two-part episode. Sometimes you just need time to unfold, to show you what something is going to be. And you can't force that. So recovery, grieving, all of it takes a certain amount of time and it feels awful. If you are enjoying this episode, check out Saying Yes to the Biggest No in Your Life with coach and author Andrea Hips. I do think the more we walk toward the pain, the more pain is a teacher for us. But our tendency is, of course, to be completely frightened of the pain, shut down and go turn to food, drink, Netflix or something else in order to not look more directly at it. And now we return to today's show. I think it was hugely important. And I think it's, here's another thing I've learned is that sometimes um, it's sort of the same thing about not worrying along the same lines of like, don't bother speculating because you're not going to see it coming or, you know, you, you can't plan everything. You sometimes you just need time to unfold, to show you what something is going to be. And you can't force that. So recovery, grieving, all of it takes a certain amount of time and it feels awful. And I'm a doer and a fixer. I'm always like, let's resolve this. Let's call for this appointment. Let's get this fixer in here. And you can't do that when you're trying, when, when you're dealing with something so enormous, like this is my marriage. I've been with this man for 27 years. Am I going to let it go? Am I going to decide in a week, in a month that that's the end of 27 years together? I need time to let this unfold in front of me. Um, and that's the, there's nothing you do to rush that. You gotta like stick it out. And so there's this, you know, great uh, mantra that I live by, which is the only way out is through. Um, of my very dear friend, Jessica, who had a couple of really great mantras for me in the beginning, shared that one with me. And I pictured myself all the time walking through like a very dark tunnel. And I just, every day I would think, well, it's another step in this dark tunnel. But I had absolute faith there was a light at the end of the tunnel. I just had to get there. So I allowed myself to be present in my grief and my misery. That was very hard and just disorienting in every way because I'm a happy, you know, I, I, I'm always on to the next thing and I'm excitable and excited. And I that was just a very uncomfortable place for me to be. And I understood that it would be revealed over time what to do. 
And people would say to me all the time, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to stay with him? What are the chances you'll stay with him? And I'd say, I don't know, 50, 50. I don't know. I'm neither here nor there. And at some point about three months after we separated, I, I, I did ask him to leave immediately after I found out. I couldn't look at him. And he didn't want to leave. He was scared that if I asked him to leave, I would never let him back again, which is what happened. But I didn't know that. Um, and after about three months, I, the pressure to make a decision was so oppressive to me that I finally said to him, can you get a one-year lease somewhere? Can you get an apartment and get a one-year lease? Because I can't live like, I can't live with this pressure anymore. And he did. And that gave me freedom to just say, I'm going to take my time and figure this out. The caveat of that, of course, is that I had kids who were like, are you going to get back together or not? And it wasn't fair to them to drag it out forever. So I didn't feel that I could wait years or that there wasn't an end game. I knew there had to be an end date. I had to figure this out within a certain amount of time. So pretty much as soon as I recognized that it really was not, it was not going to happen for us and that he wasn't really trying to make it happen that much with me either, despite his words saying he might want to be back together with me. And then I pulled the plug because I, my kids needed closure. Right. And that was, I was thinking that as you were saying it, that people were asking you, what do you think? What are you, what are you going to do? Um, it's one thing when your mom or your friends yeah. or whatever, but when your three children are looking at you, I think there's a, a story, uh, or I know there's a, a, you tell the story of your youngest coming to you and saying, Six weeks. It's been six weeks. Isn't that long enough for you to know? Don't you know when's that? You know what what's going to happen? And um, that need to you know be the mother um, to your children as they they because they were very much going through um, as much up, upheaval as you were going through. Your children were going through it as well. Yeah, and they're. I mean, poor things. I felt awful. I felt like that was the one way in which I felt so angry at my husband that I couldn't really feel compassion because I thought, okay, like hurt yourself, hurt me, hurt my parents. You know, all of that. I hurt our friends. Fine. Don't touch the kids. You don't mess with the kids. You know, every like bit of a mama bear came out in me and was like, you hurt our children. That's unacceptable. And so what kind, of a, what kind of a person are you? And how will I ever forgive you for that? I could probably forgive you for everything else, but not for hurting our children. And they were devastated because just like my past got ripped from me, so did theirs. They yeah. thought we had like a pretty perfect family. You know, they, they felt like they had, you know, the zany sort of dad and the stay-at-home mom and the revolving door. Their friends came over all the time. My house was always open to everybody, you know, snacks and dinners and sleepovers. And it was, you know, for them, they also had to accept, whoa, it wasn't at all what we thought. And and also, no kid wants to know that much about their parents' marriage. You know, it's not for children. They're They're entitled to their childhood and they're entitled to just be kids that are so selfish that they never have to look at their parents as human beings. And when you spring it on them and they find out that their father was in love with another woman, and I didn't really want them to know, but I knew that they had to know, you know, they were teenagers and I accepted early on that there's no way I was going to be able to lie or keep it a secret. Um, And now my youngest daughter knows too. And, um, you know, so everybody's on the same page and that's a pretty big uh, meatball to swallow, (laughs) You know, huge, huge. And and, and father fell from grace. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that's actually a major point 
in the book because divorce professionals were always like, oh, your children do not need to know the intimate details of what happened, mom cheating, dad cheating, whatever those things were. But it, it came through very clearly in your book is you, your kid, just as you thought you had that perfect marriage, life, family, you know, situation, your kids thought that too. And your kids very quickly jumped on, hey, wait, if that's not what we have, somebody did something that was pretty big. Yeah. This didn't just like happen. And they immediately jumped on, one of you cheated. Yeah. Who was it? Yeah. My eldest daughter, she must have been, because she was 17 or 18. No, it was right before her 18th birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, She was 17 and my son was 14. It was like a month before their birthdays. And when I, they were like, where's dad? And I said, oh, he's busy. He's working. You know, he'll be back in a week or so. And they were like, no, this is weird. Like this, something's not sitting right. And I sat down to tell them that we were, we needed a little time apart. And I just said like, you know, we've not been getting along. And they were like, no, no, you seem, you've been fine. And, and my daughter immediately, she's so sensitive and so intuitive. Uh, and she immediately said to me, something went, some, one of you cheated. One of you had to have done something. There's no, this makes no sense. And as intuitive as she is, the problem is that, you know, she's, she also continued to watch me carefully for signs that I was going to be okay or that I was completely falling apart. And she was very sensitive to it and also needed, she needed my support to grieve. So I was trying to support her and she's like worried about me, you know, are you going to be okay, mom? But also you have to be okay because this is about me right now. You know, this is about my grief. And there were times where I would, I remember saying to her, like, you know, that dad had an affair, like he cheated on me, right? You know, that he didn't really like, he didn't exactly, he cheated on you guys, but it's not quite the same. You understand that I'm not, I'm a, I'm with you right now. I'm a victim. But she didn't really, like she cared. She was compassionate and she cared, but she was reeling and she just wanted me to be her mom. She wanted her mother. And I tried to do that for her. A lot of times I made a lot of mistakes also. I think that sometimes, you know, this question of not making him a villain in the beginning, did I villainize him? I'm sure I did. I'm sure if you asked my daughter, she would say, oh, 100%. You know, I think I I tried to keep it in check, but I was angry as, you know, I was angry and my kids were upset and we needed somebody to be angry at. Right. Somebody in that, well, and it was, your two oldest actually wouldn't even speak to your husband for no. a period of time. No, I mean, for not quite a period of time. Yeah, my son, um, he didn't speak to him for, it was almost 10 months or nine months, about nine or 10 months. It was a long time and he blocked him. I mean, he blocked his calls and his, and it was very painful. And I was really like, hey guys, you need to see dad. You know, dad really wants to see you, give him a try. And my daughter finally was like, mom, you're actually making it worse because you're like, you're pushing us. And when we're ready, we'll see him, but you need to back off. And I, I tried really hard to back off at that point, but I was not prepared to be a single mom to two teenagers. Right. Well, and that, cause that's the flip side of that, right? It's one thing to be the blameless parent and, and, you know, the other person's the villain, but when they're then taken out of the picture, you suddenly become the parent who's the recipient of everything and the, the sole holder of the emotional and physical health of your children, you know, for everything. And I felt responsible, you know, as I say, I think in the book, 
okay, here's this man who knows me better than anybody. He's known me since I was a teenager and I'm not what he wants. There's something broken in me. Clearly there's something very broken in me that this man would reject me. And so what in my mind, I'm thinking, well, the kids now know I'm broken. So in their minds, I'm their mother and they still need me. But now they know I'm like, there's something about me that is totally rejectable. And that's so scary for a child. You know, now they're looking at me and they're like, wow, our mother's not maybe as fierce as we thought she was, or she's not as loving. There's something wrong with her. I worried about that all the time. Right. Well, because our, we, our children are watching during any of the things that happen in our lives to how we react and how we respond. And, you know, there's so, there's so much that, you know, we, I'm so glad we made this a two-part episode because we've just come to the end. Oh, wow. One, right. That went by quickly and there's so much more to delve into. So what I do want to say to listeners is never fear on Thursday, we are going to have the second part of this interview. There is a lot more to come um, there. We have not delved into your journey out into dating, which you are um, let's go back to the available um, there, or is this too much? Right. There's a, a great deal um, about, you know, just everything about putting yourself back out there in the world, refining yourself as a woman and, um, a, you know, a sexual being that is still to come and your journey. So I want people to stay tuned for Thursday Also, the book will launch on Thursday. So people are going to be able to access the book, get their copy of the book on Thursday, June 10th. Um, So stay tuned for that. And I'm very excited because Laura has um, allowed me to offer a giveaway to one lucky listener of a free PDF of the book. So what you have to do to to get in the running for receiving the book is go to Instagram, follow um, at Susan Guthrie Esquire and at Divorce and Beyond. And Laura, your um, is your Instagram handle is Laura Friedman Williams. It's and Laura so, Friedman F R I E D M A N Williams. One word. So I'm going to have all those in the show notes. Go follow all three, and then post, copy, and repost one of our posts about the episode. Tag us. And that will get you in the running to win a PDF of the book, and you'll have it even before it's released because I'm gonna I'm gonna do that on um, Wednesday. So I will give out a free copy of the PDF copy of the book on Wednesday, and then join us again on Thursday. So Laura, thank you so much, and we'll be back on Thursday for this okay. part of the. Yes, interview. we have to because we have to get to the fun part. I mean, I know, right? <laughs> we talked about a lot of the deep stuff, but there is some fun yeah. stuff yeah, coming. Exactly. Folks. So thank see you on Thursday. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.